Freedom Hut. Debate cleanup on aisle seven. Another revelation about the Russia collusion hoax. California woman arrested for trying to murder Trump supporters and that Project Veritas investigation in Minnesota. We got that for you. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, my, we knew this day would be here. The day after the throwdown in Ohio. And I've got to tell you, it was uh, it was <laughs> it was a bit like a, a steel cage match. More more that than a debate. It was certainly um, feisty. It was fiery at points. And I'm going to try today to, to spend as little time as I can on the uh, what I viewed as as just unconscionably bad and biased moderating. Right. I thought that I thought that Chris Wallace, I know that a lot of people at Fox hold him in very high regard and he may be a great guy and a great journalist and all this stuff. It was a an F last night for moderation an F fail, massive fail. But let's go into what what was said, what we take from all of this uh, what we learned if we can say much of anything about it in a sense i've got to say it's a reflection of our current political state right now wouldn't it have actually been quite strange wouldn't it have been off-putting if joe biden and donald trump i don't like that they call him vice president biden he's not the vice president anymore i don't think that we have these titles that we carry forever okay he's just joe biden guy who makes millions of dollars with books that other people write for him and speeches that other people write for him. And he used to have got, uh, jobs in government or not. Now he's a presidential contender, but I'm just saying he's not the vice president. Uh, but if these two individuals were warm and fuzzy to each other on that stage, wouldn't it feel like this whole thing is all all kind of a waste of time and a hoax anyway? I often hear people in a bit of uh, n- political nihilism complain. They say, Oh, both parties are the same. You get the same thing no matter who's in charge, right? This this is uh, something you'll hear. I, I think it's generally a, an unsophisticated view of American politics. I think there's big differences that can come from uh, these two political parties. That's not to say that the parties don't cross over more than they pretend to or that you don't have certainly a lot of Republicans who are willing to abandon core principles and, and tenets in order to get what they want in a short-term way with the donor class with the special interests. But there's a difference between a political party that's saying there's going to be a mask mandate, national mask mandate day one if they win. And the party that says we are strangling our own economy and it's not clear that we are deriving any health benefit from this at this stage. It is not clear, despite what they tell you. And if you see other countries and what they're going through right now, uh, they've learned painful lessons, too. So we might as well see what's actually going on with open eyes, try to be objective about it. But we don't. Instead, we have a very political view of of all of these things. Um, Joe Biden was bitter last night in many ways. Now, Trump was very aggressive, I think, aggressive to the point of being a little bit abrasive, which I don't care about. So you don't have to tell me, Buck, don't be a whip. I'm not. It's fine by me. I think that I think that Joe Biden is a fraud. 
and a moron. And, you know, if you're going to go after him, go after him. I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying from the perspective of somebody who wants as many of those undecided voters in Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and Nevada and New Hampshire, wants as many of them as possible to be convinced in this last leg of this election race to vote for Donald Trump. I'm not sure that that was effective. That said, I did see the Telemundo polling, which was very interesting, that showed a strong majority of Hispanic Telemundo. And I know the whole audience isn't Hispanic that watches Telemundo, but I think it's generally considered a Hispanic audience uh, that the Hispanic uh, Telemundo audience was coming away from that debate, thinking that Donald Trump had actually won it, I think, by about a two to one margin. So it really depends. I, I just want what's most effective. And was that exchange last night? It felt to me like, you know, two aging prize fighters. Trump got the best of him, but it was messy. It was scrappy. There were a lot of elbows thrown, some low blows, some, you know, I think the boxing analogies, as hackneyed as they are, are kind of helpful. Really allows you to think through what what happened last night. There were some moments when I believe that Donald Trump squared up to throw a knockout blow. There were some points at which I would say it was it was close that Donald Trump could have really hammered him. And in this analogy, the referee here, Chris Wallace, just stood in between them and said, break, 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 and and made sure that Trump couldn't get there. Uh, there were some there were some very clear examples of this. Um, there were examples that included why is it that we still have not gotten we still have not gotten a an answer from Joe Biden as to whether he would do court packing. This is a this is a big thing. This isn't a little thing. This is a big question. And it's a yes or no. Are you willing to do this? There's only there's only, you know, two answers to the question that are possible. But Biden keeps giving a third answer. Or he's allowed to give this third answer, which is I'm not going to make that the. The centerpiece here, that's going to be a big issue if I answer that. Well, that's not an excuse. That's a dodge. That's as obvious and uh, oleaginous a political dodge as you'll find anywhere. Why can't we get that answer? Well, Trump tried, but Chris Wallace jumped in and saved him from that. There was, you know, the no question last night about amnesty. Uh, There was a brief exchange about ending the filibuster, but we did not end up getting a a real answer uh, from Biden. I mean, Biden was able to escape some areas where he would have had a lot of problems. The thing about Trump is that he's not trying to lie about what he has done or would do. He has now I know the left would lose their mind at that, but he's you're getting the same Trump today as you were getting a year ago, as you were getting four years ago, wants to do the same things, pushes the same ideas and ideals. Trying to accomplish the same policy goals with Joe Biden, there's this fakery, there's this fraudulence that comes up because at some level, the Democrats know that there's a chunk of the of uh, the middle of the country. And I mean that somewhat geographically, but also more generally, politically speaking. There is a piece of the country that doesn't want to go with this far left Democrat Party. And that's where the party's going. I mean, that is the Democrat Party now. They're trying to hide it from people. 
But that's why Biden can't give answers on things like packing the court, ending the filibuster. That's why uh, when Biden said that the Green New Deal is not his plan, that was a real wake up moment for a lot of folks. Oh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Democrat who's going to be leading their party if he wins. uh, He's not in favor of one of their signature issues that has to do with existential, existential threats to us. The the climate change crisis, which they, they say the left now, the Democrat Party as an issue of dogma, of orthodoxy, thinks that climate change is an existential threat. But somehow Joe Biden is telling the American people, no, he, he's not really on board with that. Play 22. Look what's happened just in the Midwest with these storms that come through and wipe out entire sections and counties in Iowa. They didn't happen before. They're because of global warming. We make up 15 percent of the world's problem. We, in fact, but the, the rest of the world, we've got to get them to come along. That's why we have to get back into back into the Paris Accord. All right, gentlemen. Wait a minute, Chris. So why didn't he do it for 47 years? You were vice president. Why didn't you get the world? China sends up real dirt into the air. Russia does. India does. They all do. We're supposed to be good. And by the way, he made a couple of statements. The Green New Deal is $100 trillion. That is not, not my plan. That's the Green uh, well, New you want to Deal rebuild every is building. not my plan. I want to rebuild. Right. That is not my plan. Does anyone even know what this Biden plan is? Apparently, Chris Wallace does. He's trying to help out Biden when he can. Look, I- I'm sorry. Chris Wallace showed everybody what he was really about last night, and it was obvious and it was gross. And I know there are people, including friends of mine, including people that I like and respect over at Fox, who really like and respect Chris Wallace. I don't know the man. Never met him. Never talked to him. That performance last night was was terrible. It was it was the worst debate moderating I have seen, and that includes Harwood and Candy Crowley's embarrassing debate moderator performances. Uh, I don't know why we think that there's this presidential commission on debates. We should be deferring to them. I mean, why don't we have a Joe Rogan? Why, why isn't there an Internet-based debate? Why do we have to do this old network style? doesn't make any sense to me. Well, there's a lot of big interest involved. There's huge money involved, as you know, and the prestige of getting these debates. There's the there's money involved in people being able to say we are the ones that held this debate. Uh, but I, I thought last night Biden had to distance himself from the left, getting back to what substance there was. I want to try to focus on the substance. I, I am very agitated about the format and about the moderator. I'm not going to I can't hide that from you. I, I found it really just pathetic. Uh, but the most important thing was what you can take away from that. And that's Joe Biden is doing exactly what I've been saying all along. He's hiding from the radical left of his party on these issues and will not confront them. He's either evasive or abandoning them depends on the issue and what he thinks he can get away with. But nobody really believes that that will hold if he were to win the election. No one thinks that he's going to stand up to wokeness or the Green New Deal or the socialism that are now the animating forces. I mean, these are the most important, most powerful forces in the Democrat Party. But Joe Biden doesn't represent that. He's not he's not a part of that. He doesn't want to do that. It was interesting to see that happen. And there were other uh, claims that Biden made that were just. Self-contradictory, absurd. I guess my my frustration 
uh, from the Trump side of things. And I, I don't, you know, I don't think that Trump had a great night. I don't think he had a bad night. And look, I, I come here and I tell you the truth. I know the most successful thing, I, I'm a conservative radio host. If I want to just try to appeal to the broadest audience all the time in this era, I just, all I do is talk about how awesome Trump is and everything he says is perfect. I think that's boring and I think it's dishonest. I'm a Trump supporter. I think he's been a great president. I think he's done a lot of fantastic things for the country. I've been supporting him ever since the 2016, you know, before the 2016 election. And yet I, I don't think it helps to sit here and, and pretend that everything went really well. So let's let's actually talk about it. You know, if you want somebody who just sits there and is going to give the Trump administration a back rub all the time, there are other shows that can do that. Uh, I, I think that the president should have hammered uh, Biden on some of the inconsistencies uh, on Biden, for example, uh, saying that Trump has ruined the economy. And this was a big this is a big thing. It's a big point that's going to matter to a whole lot of people. And on the one hand, Biden says Trump didn't shut down enough. On the other hand, he's blaming Trump for the economic downturn. That is a direct consequence. And there's no serious argument otherwise, a direct consequence of the lockdowns. So which is it? Is it that Trump didn't do enough to lock us down or that Trump is specifically at fault because of lockdowns and the economic damage they did, even though he didn't order all the lockdowns in all the states? You know, they they have to settle on one. It can't be both. It can't be both. And uh, I, I wish that there had been more of a of a hammer dropped on that issue. Um. Trump recognizes the Democrats have deeply politicized, deeply politicized the issue of COVID-19 and the lockdowns. Uh, Here he is. Play 11. He will shut it down again. He will destroy this country. You know, a lot of people between drugs and alcohol and depression, when you start shutting it down, you take a look at what's happening at some of your Democrat run states where they have these tough shutdowns. And I'm telling you, it's because they don't want to open it. One of them came out last week. You saw that. Oh, we're going to open up on November 9th. Why November 9th? Because it's after the election. They think they're hurting us by keeping them closed. They're hurting people. People know what to do. They can social distance. They can wash the hands. They can wear masks. They can do whatever they want. But they got to open these states up. When you look at North Carolina, when you look and these governors are under siege, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and a couple of others, you got to open these states up. It's not fair. You're talking about almost it's like being in prison. And you look at what's going on with divorce. Look at what's going on with alcoholism and drugs. It's a very, very sad thing. And he'll close down the whole country. This guy will close down the whole country and destroy our country. Our country is coming back incredibly well. It's all true what he's saying about what the Democrat view of the lockdowns are and what it's doing to the country. And I'm sorry, folks, this is the central fight right now. We say we care about rights and freedom and liberty. It's all being taken away from us on the whims of people who claim they're making us safer. It's absurd. It's absurd. We can live with this virus. We can handle it. We can deal with it as a society. We don't need government mandates for masks and government mandates for shutdowns. It's not helping. All right. In Spain, they've had the most extreme lockdowns imaginable, certainly of any Western country. And they've now had a big outbreak again. And there are anti-mask protests in the streets because they're like, what? what? Now you're just going to say wear more masks and it's going to go away. They lock children indoors for months. It's absurd. It's wrong. It's more than absurd. It's wrong. And this is what the Democrats want to do. It's going to get worse. 
Think about the economic impact of Joe Biden coming in, raising taxes and doing national level mandated covid policy shutdowns. Think of what that's going to do to employment. Think about what that's going to do to these businesses that are on life support. Biden running the economy would be like someone walking around the hospital where all the businesses are on life support, just pulling the plug. It's going to kill millions more small businesses. It's devastating what will happen. And that's why the president said this, and I I give him credit. He's pointing this out. But this needs to be a, a focus. These Democrats are out of their minds. And Joe Biden's a puppet of the left. And he can't just pretend in front of America for one night to fool them that that's not true. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You, in the course of these four years, have never come up with a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare. And just this last Thursday, you signed a largely symbolic executive order to protect people with pre-existing conditions five days before this debate. So my question, sir, is what is the Trump health care plan? Well, first of all, I guess I'm debating you, not him, but that's okay. I'm not surprised. Let me just tell you something that (laughs) there's nothing symbolic. I'm cutting drug prices. I'm going with favored nations, which no president has the courage to do because you're going against Big Pharma. Drug prices will be coming down 80 or 90 percent. You could have done it during your 47 year period in government, but you didn't do it. Nobody's done it. Notice the way that Chris Wallace frames that question. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Largely symbolic. These are analytic judgments in the question. Right. When he's saying it was a largely symbolic. OK, well, that's that's just Chris Wallace's opinion, man. But it's meant to box Trump in and put him on defense with a question about health care, which Democrats still believe is their single other than covid and Trump's a racist. They're their best line of attack against the president. Why would Chris Wallace do that? What what's the point of clearly favoring one side? Well, I think we all know the answer. I mean, rhetorically asking why you would do it. But really, the worst the worst thing that I saw last night, and I got to get this out of the way, was what Chris Wallace went on to do on the issue of of white supremacists and and Charlottesville and that whole the, the way the left still tells that story about what Trump said. You, you can't think that Chris Wallace didn't know what he was doing. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. But they don't want to accept the National Guard. You have repeatedly criticized the the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to specifically do, do it? Well, I, would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and white supremacists and white supremacists. 
stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right his wing own, problem. This is, this is a left wing problem. This is a left wing problem. White supremacist. Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not malicious. That's what oh, his okay. FBI, his okay. FBI director Gentlemen. said. Antifa is not an organization, folks. It's an idea. They just coordinate all the time, meet in the same place, communicate, raise funds, have logistics planning and preparation, have medics, quote, medics that they deploy. And they continually do this night after night. And they're in constant communication. So they got fundraising organization, shared ideology. Oh, but it's not an organization. It's an idea. Okay. You could really say the same thing about a lot of terrorist groups. They share an ideology with each other, but they're disparate cells and they don't always have perfect command and control among the different cells. So it's not really an organization. It's just an idea. No, it's also an organization. But the will you condemn white supremacists? Oh, we're talking about white supremacists. We've had BLM lunatics destroying cities all summer. And it's BLM supporters. It's BLM protesters and Antifa that are doing this. And the president, the sitting president of the United States is being asked to condemn white supremacists. He has condemned them many times before. But this is the ultimate when did you stop beating your wife question. And Chris Wallace knows it. And what he did is disgusting. It was honestly shameful. They also brought up, of course, Biden and Wallace. Might as well think of them as a tag team. Uh, the the Charlottesville situation and the both sides, uh, good people on both sides. Chris Wallace introduced that. That is a lie. That is an inexcusable lie. The president did not refer to white supremacists as the good people on both sides. There is a transcript. There is video. You can watch it for yourself. I've read that transcript many times. He says in the same exact speech they always cite, he says within a matter of moments, I just want to be very clear. I'm not talking about the white supremacists as good people. I'm talking about people arguing about whether historical statues should be you know, taken down or not. And there is an argument over that. And there are good faith reasons, depending on the situation, the statue and everything else, to either before or against statue removal, specifically as a matter of whether it's history or or symbolism. But they still lie about the president on that. And Chris Wallace was a a part of that lie. Chris Wallace was a guy who honestly acted like a Democrat operative. I mean, I thought and people are saying, oh, but it's so hard to hold these two people back from each other. You know, let let them have it out a bit more. I don't know. I don't know why Chris Wallace kept, you know, he couldn't control them. And then he would wait until it was just about we're just about to have Biden. You know, Biden gets hit with a shot. He's on the ropes and you're going to have him say what he can't avoid saying, which is that he's just basically full of it. And that he doesn't want the American people to know that he represents a party that is completely insane and is a, is going to be disastrous for the country. He's going to make you poorer, less free, more unhappy, less safe. That's what Biden's really offering you, America. But the moment that we were going to get to that point where you would have that inescapable conclusion, then, then Wallace would jump in. So that's why I'm trying to. I'm trying to uh, dissect and, and pull apart here the different worthwhile moments of the debate because we were in a sense robbed of having a a worthwhile exchange or as worthwhile an exchange as it should have been and you know 
Biden escaped with us. Of course, the, the Biden uh, the Biden team is saying no more debates, no more debates, because he did show up with his pants on, did not say I am a Tyrannosaurus Rex, did not just fade off into speaking gibberish. And that because of the way that we had been talking about this for weeks leading up to it, that that was something of a victory for him. So here are the pro Biden pundits out there saying no more debates. That's it. We saw he doesn't actually have to wear an adult diaper or have an earpiece. Play uh, eight. So uh, very simple question. After what went down this evening, do you think Joe Biden should participate? In a second or third debate, should the next two debates go on as scheduled? I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if this is the last presidential debate. Should there be other debates? Are we really going to repeat this? Are we going to have another two of of these? I think we have to hear from the presidential commission on debates tomorrow. We, We 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 can't do two more of these. Why are we bothering a with a discussion? Of the rules, of format, of time limits, of uh, moderators at all, when we have just seen what is going to happen. Why debate again? They want to know. They, they don't think there should be another debate. Come on. What's the point? Right. They don't want that to happen. I think they realize Joe Biden got lucky last night. Lucky. Uh, And if Trump was uh, just a little bit more focused and a little bit less obstructed by the moderator, I think he would have had some real memorable moments and not just memorable, um, not just memorable, but also uh, meaningful. Right. I mean, it's one thing, you know, there there were memorable moments last night, for example. I mean, here's Trump talking about Biden versus Bernie Sanders. I mean, this was kind of funny. Play 15. So you agree with Bernie Sanders, the far left, on the manifesto, we call it. That gives you socialized medicine. Look, hey, are you saying you didn't agree? Listen to him. The fact of the matter is I beat Bernie Sanders. Not by much. I I beat him a whole hell of a lot. I'm here here standing facing you all, buddy. Pocahontas would have left Uh, two days early. You would have lost every primary. All he knows how to do is Tuesday. You got very lucky. Here's the deal. I got very lucky. I'm going to get very lucky tonight as well. And tonight I'm going to make sure because here's the deal. Trump, Trump going full Trump there. Pretty funny. Not by much. He's right. The Democrat apparatus had a panic moment and threw all their all their effort into making sure that it be Biden, not Bernie, because they need to be able to play this game. They need to be able to continue with this fraud that namely the Democrat Party is not, in fact, a far left socialist party now but that it is uh, moderate. You know, that's why they put forward this guy, Joe Biden. I mean, the whole thing is so transparent. It's so obvious. And it's obvious that they're being dishonest. And the reason they went with Biden is because they can't they can't own up to what the Democrat Party has become with their candidate. They've got to pretend there's something else. I mean, Biden would not address whether he would pack the courts, would not address whether he would support eliminating the filibuster in the Senate, uh, wouldn't condemn Antifa. I mean, He's never condemned Antifa from what I understand. They'll condemn violence. But you see, that's meant to say that's meant to be a a game they play where, well, violence. Maybe he's just condemning the right wing violence out there. You remember early in the days of uh, the the earlier days of BLM, there were there were journos who actually believed that maybe all the burning down of buildings and the rioting were right wing agitators. I mean, this is just it's all so offensive. 
We've been through this for months. They are Biden voters who are burning down businesses. It is Biden voters who are threatening strangers in the street and demanding political obedience, who are shooting and murdering police officers. It is Biden voters who are doing those things. And now they're going to pretend like this is on both sides of the aisle. Now they're going to play some uh, moral relativism game. I, I don't think so, friends. I don't, there's no equivalency here. There's no similarity in the two sides. The left is the party of the mob of riots. And the right is imperfect, but it's not that. It's not those things. Um, and that's where I think the substance started to come out last night. I mean, we, we could have had more. Um, and and the, the the area I think where Biden is is most vulnerable uh, is on this on law and order issues of the Democrat Party. And this he used the phrase last night, reimagining police. No serious person believes that reimagining police is a serious idea. It's not true. It doesn't exist. There's no serious person out there who goes, yeah, yeah, let's let's reimagine police. Uh, but Biden said it because that's what the left wing activist base wants to hear. You know, we should have been pressed on. Do you support defunding police? That's a yes or no question, because his base definitely does. But Biden doesn't want to admit that he needs those voters, but he can't tell people that he's going to support and go. Uh, he's going to support and execute on their plans and on their demands. Law and order is the single area where Trump, I think, has the, the easiest, uh, the easiest time clobbering his opponent. And he got in some shots on it, but it wasn't it wasn't what it could have been uh, because the Democrats absolutely have a glass jaw on this one. They are weak on this issue. De uh, Trump knows it. Biden is weak on the issue of the unrest, the riots, the looting, the mayhem. And there's no real excuse. There's no real uh, response that they have that doesn't sound delusional or just like it's full of lies. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, his own former spokesperson said, you know, riots and chaos and violence help his cause. That's what this is all about. I don't know who said that. I do. Who? I think Ooh. Kellyanne Conway. I don't think she said that. She said that. And so here's the, All right. but here's the point. Go the ahead. point is that that's what he is keeps trying to rile everything up. He doesn't want to calm things down. Instead of going in and talking to people and saying, let's get everybody together, figure out how to deal with this. What's he do? He just pours gasoline in the fire constantly and every single solitary okay, time. And, and to end this button up this segment, I'm going to give you a minute to answer, sir. You have repeatedly well, criticized. I have to answer his statement. No, you have his repeatedly. Statement. Wait, you have repeat, no, you've been talking back and forth. You made a forth. statement. I'm asking you. I would love to end it. I would love to end it. You know, if you want to switch seats, we, we could very quickly. We could do that. But I'm sending no, the National Guard. It would be over. There'd be no problem. OK. I mean, no honest person thinks that the Democrats haven't been pushing along, supporting when necessary, covering up for their shock troops for this BLM movement, BLM movement based on a lie and then lies about many specific cases after the initial lie. 
The great big lie of BLM is that white cops are hunting and hunting and murdering black men for sport without consequence systemically. That's a lie. It's not true, but they say it. They believe it. And then they pick these cases where they lie about what happened in the case. Right? They lie about the initial facts and then we find out more and that it's not quite as as obvious to anyone that there was uh, police misconduct of any kind in some cases. But the Democrats now know that if they're going to win over, you know, soccer mom voters in Ohio and retirees in Florida, uh, they probably don't want to be too cozy with the radicals who are really just the, the true believers in the Democrat left now. I mean, they're the most committed members of the Democrat Party. They'll do anything to stop Trump. They'll break laws. They'll risk their own security and their own uh, and their own freedom to stop Trump. They'll, they'll violate other people's rights and freedoms to stop Trump. That's what we've all been seeing. There's no way around this. They can't talk their way around this. There's no issue that they can raise here to distract effectively from this for anyone who is paying attention. All right. The Democrats are the party of riots and the mob, period. Do you want that? Do you want people that are going to say when there are uh, rampaging riots in your neighborhood? I had them in my neighborhood. This isn't just theoretical for me. It happened here in New York. I had a rampage riot right in my hood. I could see it across the street. I went out for a walk the next day, shattered store windows all over the place, trash all over the streets, a mess, a mess. And people really frightened. We didn't know when it was going to end. We don't know how much longer is going to go on. It's not rhetorical. This is real. Biden and, and the Democrat media have convinced people that Trump is a fascist, you see. And if you're fighting fascism, well, then isn't the most extreme measure justified? Whatever you got to do, you, know, you got to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. That's the real Democrat mindset about this. They're okay with all of this. And if they were in power, I can tell you this, if Joe Biden were the were the president, you know, and there were more of these riots. Remember, BLM started and I wish the president brought this up. BLM started under the Obama administration. This is the Democrat left having these spasms of anger and rage that are encouraged and propped up by the Democrat Party overall, but they can't always control it. BLM started when Biden was vice president. I wish this had come up last night, uh, but it did not. And with all the shouting and all the back and forth, there were a lot of issues that felt like they got a bit left on, on the cutting room floor. Um, but this is in the next debate, assuming there is one, and I think there will be one. You'll notice I, I've told you all along that there, were, there was going to be at least one debate. And there was one. Uh, There's no way that Biden wasn't going to show up ever in debate. It wasn't going to happen. Um, but if there is another debate, I hope the president really forces the Democrats to deal with the reality that we've all seen for months now. Democrat cities overrun with violence and, and anarchy and lawlessness and Democrat politicians making these, these wimpy BS excuses. Oh, it's, you know, it's about systemic oppression. No, systemic oppression has nothing to do with an angry mob breaking someone's storefront and stealing a bunch of sneakers. Doesn't actually have anything to do with it. Just people that are looking for an excuse, that want, want to get theirs, want to get some stuff, break the law and get away with it. That's all it is. It's just opening up our society to exploitation by criminals. 
by people that have no respect for the rights of their fellow human beings, no, no respect for the rules of our society. But the Democrats cheered on. They encourage it because at least the people are mobilized then, right? At least their base feels an energy to act. It's just a shame the acts are criminal in nature, isn't it? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's just take a moment to review what the elite media thought of the debate. Of course, no surprises here. No one could come away from it saying that Joe Biden did a great job, obviously. No matter how much you love Joe Biden, I mean, it was just the usual nonsense from him. A lot of talking points. The the uh, the way the media attacks Trump is the same way Biden attacks Trump. And and look, people are going to come away from this. Most people are going to want who watch the debate. They going to view the they're going to view the situation exactly as they did beforehand. Uh, but here is, for example, oh, gosh, so many, so many great. Oh, I'm so upset about the debate. It was like so terrible. And I'm like, why are they so awful? Here is. Donna Bosch. Don't call her Dana. Donna Bosch. Uh, with, her, with her big line of the night, this uh, highly paid, deeply unimpressive CNN political, uh, not a commentator, analyst or correspondent or something, you know, some title to make it sound like she's not just a dem talking point machine. Play nine. We'll talk about who won the debate, who lost the debate. But I can tell you I'm- one thing for sure. The American people lost tonight. Because that was horrific. You just took the words out of my mouth. Um, you used some high-minded language. I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a show. And, you know, we're on cable. We can say that. Apologies for being um, maybe a little bit crude. But that is really the, the phrase that I'm getting, more, you know, from people on both sides of the aisle on text. And it's the only phrase that I can think of to really describe it. Yeah, she's so spicy. That was a that was a bloop show. Oh my gosh, I'm just gonna say it. It's like terrible what he did. It was so bad. Oh my gosh, CNN. I swear, one day someone looked back and say what what happened to CNN? It used to be, it used to be liberal, but not insane. And now it is insane liberals. They've really they've really gone they've gone full crazy over there. So, yeah, look, I mean, the debate was it was sloppy. If you're expecting Shakespearean oratory, if you're expecting two guys who like and respect each other to have a a reasonable exchange of ideas where they don't step on each other's time. And that wasn't going to happen. There was no future in which there was no world in which Joe Biden and Donald Trump are going to sit on stage and uh, treat each other like highly regarded peers. That that was not going to be reality. But. You know, you go into a street fight, you're going to get hit. And that's what happened. But Joe Scarborough and Mika and they're very upset with what happened last night. Play six. Joe Biden's getting great reviews. He did great last night. He handled it really well. And when he was allowed to talk, he sounded great. (laughs) But why in the world was his team expose him to lower himself to a display like that? ever again well um willie and i were uh, talking about this before the show i i, I would have walked off the stage at certain times and, and said until you can 
actually make sure that we abide by the rules, I'm not going to be a part of this charade. That said, uh, uh, voters overwhelmingly thought last night that Joe Biden won that debate. Uh, Donald Trump set himself on fire in front of 100 million people last night. (laughs) It really is like we're watching an alternative reality, isn't it? I mean, it was aggressive. I, I'm, I'm objective that it was aggressive. And I feel like Trump didn't get a knockout punch on Biden. But, you know, there, there was there was no there was no point in that debate where I thought, wow, Joe Biden's impressive. And Mika, oh, he's getting rave reviews. He's like so good. Oh, Biden. These are all people who would have laughed a year ago at the notion of Joe Biden. They did laugh the many times you ran for president in the past. This guy's a joke. He's a joke. He loves to say. That ain't no joke, man. That ain't no joke. You know, he's got this. Uh, I ain't kidding. I ain't kidding. He's got these verbal ticks. That he, you'll, you'll hear it from him if you listen to him give speeches and stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the elite media was was not happy with this little little tiny stiffalupalupalus over at ABC. He was also unhappy. Play five. It is hard to find the words to describe what we saw on that debate stage last night. Well, one word comes to mind. How about disgrace? Mm-hmm. It was an absolute disgrace. It was a mockery of a presidential debate, an insult to our democracy. From the start, President Trump was determined to defy the rules, repeat falsehoods, attack Joe Biden, dominate the stage. Joe Biden seemed exasperated, uneven at times, most forceful when he spoke directly to the American people on issues like COVID. What lingers the morning after the sense that our civic life has hit a new low. The only thing he says that's that's accurate here, really. Uh, well, he says Joe Biden was uneven, which is a way of saying, look, guys, some of his stuff was crappy and he was evasive on key issues, on on important questions. He should answer. He didn't answer because he can't answer. He can't. Joe Biden can't tell the American people the truth of the Democrat Party right now. That's the problem. Ultimately, Trump, say what you will about him. Trump is being Trump. He's going to tell you what he thinks, what he wants to do. He's not hiding anything from people. He's not pretending that he that he wants things for this country that he doesn't want or that he's not. You know, it's all right there in front of you with Biden. You get this dissembling. You get this uh, obfuscation and it's built into it. But the country is very divided right now and people are upset and it's been a tough year. So is it a surprise at all that this debate was as uh, as nasty as it was? No, it shouldn't be to anybody. Uh, You know, you had lines like this where Trump just says what a lot of us have been talking about all along here. Joe Biden, not very smart. Play 12. A lot more going to die unless he gets a lot smarter, a lot quicker, Mr. President. Did you use the word smart? Uh, So you said you went to Delaware State, but you forgot the name of your college. You didn't (laughs) go to Delaware State. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. Don't ever use that word. Oh, give me a break. Because you know what? There's nothing smart about you, Joe. 47 years, you've done nothing. Let's have this debate. And if you would have had, let me just tell you something, Joe. If you would have had the charge of what I was put through, I had to close the greatest economy in the history of our country. And by the way, now it's being built again. Biden's not very smart. People know that. People have known that for a long time. Uh, Do we really believe that He's become wiser, more successful, better in recent years. Do we, do we really believe any of that? Folks, do any of you believe that? No, of course not. But that's what we're told. That's what we're supposed to believe. That Joe Biden, uh, at, at 78, you're getting the real, the good stuff now. 
The Democrats rejected him year after year after year when he tried to run for president. And now all of a sudden they've got no other option. So they're just pretending it's all a game. It's all a sham. And a president sees that he knows that. And you look at the the record that Joe Biden has had in politics. What is impressive about him? What bill did Joe Biden uh, author? What, what? Oh, the Joe Biden crime bill. Right. Which he now repudiates. I mean, the one thing Joe Biden is known for from a legislative perspective is the thing that he now says he wish he had. He wishes he hadn't done, which is why this uh, this slam from Trump, I think, does leave a mark. Play 17. People out there need help. But why didn't I you do it over 20, no, no, the last no, no, 25 wait, no, years? Let, because you weren't president, you because you weren't president screwing no, things no. up. You were a senator. And You're the, the worst way, you president vice, America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. We've done things that you never even thought of, okay. doing, including Gentlemen. fixing the broken military that you gave me, but including let's, taking let's, care of your talking, Mr. President. Uh, folks, this is it, man. I mean, there's there's not going to be any any change in tone or, or vibe or feeling between these two men. Uh, Donald Trump does not respect Joe Biden, and, and I don't think he should. I don't respect Joe Biden. I don't think there's anything impressive about Joe Biden. I think he's a slimy career politician who's just done what he can to advance himself and make his family rich in the process, pretending to do public service. And the guy is just unimpressive. You know, he's just... Uh, Kind of a mediocre, sub-mediocre guy who's just been along for the ride and just does whatever he has to do to get what he needs when he needs it. That's it. As there's, there's no vision. There's no passion. And yet they're hoping this is going to be enough anyway. Oh, and then there were the attacks on the families that came out, specifically on Hunter Biden. Where's Hunter? <laughs> You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he true. do to deserve it? That what did he do with Barista to deserve one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars? None of that is true. Not answer. Not none of that is true. Oh, really? Totally he didn't give three no, and a half Mr. President, is totally, Mr. President, please totally discredited. Totally discredited. And by the way, well, wait, he didn't get three and a half million dollars, Joe. Mr. Vice, he got three and a half million dollars. It is not true. Oh, really, Mr. Oh. President? But, Mr. You, it's an it's an open discussion. Please, no, you, you, it's a fact. Well, there's, you there's have raised an issue. Let the Vice totally President answer. Discredited. It there was a report. One hundred eighty-three thousand a month. When, with when no you, experience you, in energy, Mr. Look, President, no my son did nothing wrong at Burisma. I think he did, Mr. President. Let him answer. He doesn't want to let me answer because he knows I have the truth. His, his position has been totally, thoroughly discredited. By who? And the great, media. By everybody. Well, by the, by media, the media, by our allies, by the World Bank. By e- Wallace really working overtime there to stop the president's line of questioning. What, what the, Joe Biden's on a big boy. He's been in politics for longer than I've been alive. He, he can't handle Trump uh, pushing him a little bit on the issue. You know, push back. Say, all right, I'm going to, you know, say, I'm going to answer you. Don't turn to Wallace. It was like hiding behind his chair all the time. It was ridiculous. Uh, but this is a question of fact, uh, a question of fact. I, now, here's my thing. And I know that a lot, a lot of uh, the conservative, conservative base maybe views this a certain way. 
I don't think that the Hunter Biden Burisma stuff really moves the needle for the elect. I, I don't think so. I really don't. And I mean, it led to that ridiculous. Uh, remember, because the conversation between Trump and uh, Ukrainian premier led to that ridiculous impeachment nonsense that happened this year, folks. Trump was impeached this year. No one even remembers it. It was such an absurdity. I, I don't see this as having the resonance, but I think that Trump just resents so much what his family has been put through, what the special counsels put him and his top advisors and, and family members through, and what Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton just get away with routinely. I mean, I think that Trump's anger at what Hunter Biden did is really just a, uh, a, a reaction to the two-tiered system of justice that we're all supposed to get used to. Democrats just see things a very specific way, and that is that Democrats always get away with stuff, and Republicans need to be crucified. Especially on any issue touching on whether it's corruption or self-dealing or anything like that. You know, the, the Democrats uh, view this with this kind of maniacal stop at nothing to get the other side approach. And Republicans always do that. Well, you know, we don't want to be too rough. We don't want to criminalize politics. Democrats criminalize politics all the time. Republicans go, well, I don't know if I really want to make this that, you know, that tough. I don't know if I want to do that. That's kind of mean. The other side doesn't care about being mean, folks. I noticed the way that Biden says that his son did nothing wrong. What he should say is he did nothing proven illegal. Uh, It is wrong, meaning it it is gross, unseemly, sends the wrong message and, and undermines the faith of the American people in the honesty of their top institutions of government when a vice president of the United States is not just you know, just the vice president, vice president put in charge of U.S. policy on Ukraine, which was a disaster, as we know, under the Obama administration. Uh, and, and, and remember this, too. Putin was picking off all this stuff, you know, going all in in Syria, uh, grabbing Ukraine, doing all this under Obama's watch. All this stuff about you know Putin's puppet with Trump. It was under Obama that Putin was gobbling up country, you know, pieces of countries and asserting himself. And that hasn't been happening under Trump. I digress. Actually, no, I don't digress. That's that's an important point I'm following up on. But the uh, the Hunter Biden thing. uh, It looks bad and looking bad when your dad is the vice president is enough. And we all know that Uh, we also had, I think, Biden in a number of possible provable falsehoods. I mean, his son either received his company, either received a three point five million dollar wire from the former wife, former Moscow mayor's wife. Or not. One of the wealthiest people in Russia, by the way. I mean, his son either received that money or he didn't. His son either took a billion dollars for a hedge fund out of China or he didn't. And it doesn't matter how much Joe Biden likes his son or thinks his son's a great guy or cleaned himself up and everything else. Look, the Hunter Biden drug abuse stuff. I mean, you know, that's drug addiction is is very sad and very serious. And. Uh, I, I don't think that that is that's not something that should be at issue in this in this election. But the family corruption stuff and the fact that the Bidens have turned politics into a really lucrative family business. I mean, yeah, I think that that does count. And I think especially at a time when we've been told for years that Trump was somehow in, almost in the employ of Russia, that he was a, a controlled Russian asset that they um, they had proof of this. Turns out that's all a lie. They don't have proof of it. I think the president's really frustrated. I know from speaking to the president on two separate occasions about this that he is 
deeply um, enraged by all the lies that were told about him with Russia and the way that that was so obviously used by the left to try to slow down his administration and and as part of the resistance and the opposition. Trump is furious about that. It's not just something he, he shows you on TV. He really is furious about it, and he should be. They wanted to lock him up. They wanted to lock up his family members. Remember how frenzied the media was, the Democrats or the Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner Trump Tower meeting? And they wanted to they wanted to try to find a way not only to to bring criminal charges against Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner, who didn't do anything. They sat down for a meeting with somebody who said they had some interesting information. They didn't do anything. They took no legal action. Uh, but beyond that, they were trying to find a way to use state charges. So that way the president wouldn't be able to pardon. And that was explicitly the search for state level criminal charges against Trump and Trump family members would be so that they could try to lock up one of his children and he would not be in a position as the president to uh, pardon. Right. You can't pardon for state crimes as the president, only federal crimes. So that's how dirty they were willing to play the game. So I understand it's very personal for the president. And and that's why he came out last night really fighting and he was kind of spitting mad. And I, I can't blame the guy for that. If they had done to me what they've done to Donald Trump, I don't think I'd be able to go on that debate stage without using four letter words to describe my feelings about about Joe Biden. But now that's not to say I think that would be effective. So my my criticisms of Trump are only the areas of what I think is effective. I, I think that he showed up, he fought and didn't back down an inch. But I think that there are some areas where he he could have been more clear in his messaging and more focused on really cornering and dismantling Biden's nonsense. And so it's just my frustration is like I'm like a coach that feels like, you know, his team could have could have gotten that touchdown if only they had done one or two little things differently. If only we had called one, you know, one audible at the line of scrimmage, we might have been able to get it. You know, that that's my feeling about that debate last night, that it was close, but we didn't really get it in the end zone. That's not to say that he did a a, a bad job or that I, I don't think that the president was was fighting hard because I, I think that he was. This guy's been put through a lot. And we understand what the other side's willing to do and the games they're willing to play. And it should be troubling to all of us. If they could put the president through this, what do you think they'll do to you if you get in the way of the left's agenda? That's right. Wear that mask and shut up or else. That's going to be the uh, Biden unofficial motto in 2021. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Russia collusion delusion exposed, friends. This was big yesterday. It it got a little bit overshadowed because of the debates, obviously, which is what all the media was focused on. But this was a big one. Uh, You have, let's see here, uh, Sean Davis, Molly Hemingway over at The Federalist, again, with a great piece that looks at these uh, this latest declassified information from DNI Ratcliffe, the director of national intelligence. And DNI Ratcliffe is um, releasing information that shows. Well, let me read. Let me just give you exactly what's going on here and then we'll dive into it together. This is uh, this is from the 
the letter written to Lindsey Graham, chairman of the Committee on Judiciary, from uh, DNI Ratcliffe. In response, uh, Chairman Graham, in response to your request for intelligence community information related to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Crossfire Hurricane investigation, I have declassified the following. In late July 2016, U.S. intelligence agencies obtained insight into Russian intelligence analysis alleging that U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton had approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal against U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump by tying him to Putin and the Russians' hacking of the Democratic National Committee. The IC does not know the accuracy of this allegation, the extent to which Russian intelligence analysis may reflect exaggeration or fabrication. Uh, So in July of 2016, folks, the intel community, the U.S. intel community, uh, had intelligence alleging that Hillary Clinton was part of a plan to stir up a scandal against Donald Trump to distract from her own email problems, which were real, as we know, and were everything that we thought they were. Over 100 instances of classified information on her unclassified server. But the Russians knew that this was uh, that that Hillary was planning this in July of 2016. Hold on a second. How the heck could the Russians know that? Well, let's think this through for a moment. The Hillary Clinton campaign paid for the dossier through Christopher uh, for Christopher Steele to make. Right. Christopher Steele was supposed to compile this. Christopher Steele is a foreign intelligence operative. I know everyone tries to say, oh, but he's so well respected and great. And everything. No, he's a foreign intelligence operative, he's not an American. And he's using unvetted Russian subsources and pulling all this unverified, basically gossip and rumors into a word document. And then we're treating that like an intelligence dossier. Well, the Russian subsources clearly recognized that this was I'm, I'm sure Christopher Steele said that this was on behalf of the Clinton campaign and he needs to, you know, trying to appeal to the anti-Trump sentiment that all Clinton supporters believe is out there. Right. Steele hates Trump. We all know that. Christopher Steele. So the Russians are feeding disinformation to the Clinton campaign, know they're doing it. And the intelligence community found out that the Russians knew that that's what was going on. How else could they have known about this? How else could they have been aware of what the Clinton campaign was planning and did do, as we now know. It goes on. According to his handwritten notes, former Central Intelligence Agency Director Brennan subsequently briefed President Obama and other senior national security officials on the intelligence, including the alleged approval by Hillary Clinton on July 26, 2016, of a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by Russian security services. So CIA Director Brennan, in the summer of 2016, right when the election's really heating up, the same month that the Crossfire Hurricane investigations officially opened against George Papadopoulos, uh, the CIA Director is telling President Obama and other senior officials on Obama's staff that the Clinton campaign is planning this oper- disinformation operation against Trump. And that is what happened, meaning that the Russian assessment was correct. So what this tells us is that the Obama administration at the very top level of the intelligence community, they knew that the Hillary campaign had their fingerprints all over this. 
They knew that the Russians knew the Hillary Clinton campaign had their fingerprints all over this. So what they decided to do? Oh, let, let's just let's just run with it. This is a, they, they view this as an opportunity. OK, so we'll just pretend like this is all real and we'll give oxygen to this conspiracy theory. We'll make this seem like it's uh, like it's real. On September 7, 2016, U.S. intelligence officials back to this memo forwarded an investigative referral to FBI Director James Comey and Deputy Assistant Director of Counterintelligence Peter Strzok regarding U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private mail server. As referenced in his September 24th, 2020 letter to your committee, Attorney General Barr um, advised the disclosure of this information will not interfere with the ongoing department investigations. Additional additional declassification of public disclosure of related intelligence is under consideration. However, the IC welcomes the opportunity to provide a classified briefing to you with further details at your convenience. So there's more coming. This isn't it. But this also tells you that the Obama administration was fully in on the scam. They knew that Hillary was going to use this Russian disinformation campaign against Trump in the election. The dirtiest of dirty tricks. That's what this was. They were aware of it. And then they decided to use it. They had to know that this was fraught with conflicts of interest and lack of vetting. And it's foreign collusion. This is the Hillary campaign through a foreign intermediary using Russian disinformation against her presidential rival. This is all fact now. But then they've somehow turned it. You, you see, there, there's a classic tactic, right? A classic tactic where you will try to place blame on others before it can be blamed on blamed on you. If, you know, two kids are brought into a uh, brought into the, the dean's office and somebody you know, splattered red paint all over the front of the school building for whatever reason. The kid who did it might point at the kid who didn't do it, but both are implicated and say he did it. Because then your denial, you're already suspect then, right? Then your denial feels like it has less weight. That's kind of what the Hillary Clinton campaign ended up doing. No, they ran with this. And then when it was clear that there was nothing there, the FBI and the others figured, Well, let's just let's go public with this. Let's leak this. Let's make people believe this lie, because otherwise we're going to get caught in this information operation against the now president after Trump won the election that had no basis in fact. So their only their only option at that point in their minds was to was to make Russia collusion real as far as they could to make people believe in this thing because they had already taken action. They'd already used the smear to try to stop Trump from winning. Well, now he's going to find out. This is what we've seen also in the recently released text messages among senior FBI officials involved in the investigation. Oh, my gosh, the new AG is coming in. We're going to have some really tough questions to ask. What the heck are we doing here? They they engaged in a, an election that was, I'm sorry, in a, an investigation based on lies and that was weaponized. And then realize that they would be found out for that abuse. And so instead of allowing for that transparency and the eventual accountability to happen, they decided to double down and go on offense. And that's what the Mueller probe and Comey and all the rest of it's about. 
That's what this is showing you. Russia collusion was even worse. It was at the very highest level. Obama knew about this. The Russia collusion lie. Or maybe we should just start saying Hillary's Russia collusion. Her campaign worked with Russians, and the Russians knew that she was lying about Trump to try to defeat him and to distract from her own inexcusable information operation uh, fail, information security failures uh, with regard to the email server. They knew, tried to just bury it for a while and then figured, well, we might as well accuse the other guy before he can accuse us. Comey was a part of it, all the rest of them. It's it's disgusting what they did to this president. And there has been no real accountability yet. And I don't know if we'll ever get there. I don't know if we'll ever really find out the truth about this, but I'm still very hopeful, friends, very hopeful that we will get some measure of justice, but I'm not counting on it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And Slimy Comey was testifying today on Capitol Hill. Well, virtually, not really on the Hill, but testifying to uh, members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. This is a I I want you to hear this exchange. We're going to play this a a little longer than you usually would on radio because I want you to hear the real back and forth. Remember, James Comey was the FBI director, the guy who got his buddy Mueller and this and, and Weissman got this whole nonsense going of the special counsel. Uh, it, it was all Comey's plotting and scheming and manipulations and lies. And here he is when presented with very straightforward facts. Comey's Comey's answer to all this is just to say, I, do, I disagree with your characterization of the facts. Say, well, but that doesn't matter. The facts are the facts. No, no, I disagree with your characterization of them this is what he likes to say just to undermine without actually making an argument other than i don't like what you're saying so i'm going to say it's not true here's how it went with lindsey graham and slimy comey today play it did you ever speak with president obama or vice president biden about any aspect of crossfire hurricane if so what did you discuss I don't remember any discussion. I remember sometime in the summer of 2016, I think August, during a meeting in the Situation Room, I told the president that the FBI was endeavoring to understand whether any Americans were working or associated with the Russian effort to attack the election. I didn't talk about any names, but I believe I alerted him to the general nature of the work. Did you ever speak with President Obama or Vice President Biden about any aspect of the Flynn case? If so, what did you discuss? I remember the Flynn investigation coming up once. I think it was January the 5th when President Obama held me back to urge me to do the case in the normal way and to let him know if there was any reason that he should not be sharing sensitive information about Russia with the Trump transition. I assured him that I would keep him informed, and I would conduct the investigation in that way. During the January 5th, 2017 meeting between you, President Obama, Vice President Biden, Sally Yates, and Susan Rice, did you mention that Flynn's calls with the Russian ambassador appear, quote-unquote, appear legit? I don't remember using that word. If I Okay, so... That's obviously not Lindsey Graham. <laughs> so we played the wrong clip for you guys. Sorry about that. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But uh, anyway, that's some of the exchange today. Comey always 
always lying about this stuff. Um, no surprise, always evasive. And hopefully we can grab the audio that I actually want for you guys of Lindsey Graham and, and the mischaracterization of facts exchange. But there you heard a little a little bit of it today. Comey still takes no responsibility for any of this. Comey still there's there's absolutely nothing that he will admit to when it comes to wrongdoing. He'll now say, for example, uh, that knowing what he knows, he would not have. Um, you know, he, he would not have signed off on the on the FISA. Knowing what he knows, maybe he would have done some things a little bit differently now. But nothing was ever wrong at the time. Uh, there was nothing that that he would ever admit to that was a violation of of the FBI's you know ethics, FBI procedures. And so, in a sense, I mean, he's done more to damage to destroy. The, the, uh, the FBI's reputation than, than any other person I can think of. Notice how in that exchange there, he has, uh, where, where he's talking about his conversation with Obama, Obama's saying to hold back in for sensitive information about Russia. With the, uh, I mean, that's, that's so weird that Obama would think during the transition that he's in a position to say what the next president's going to get to find out? I mean, how long did he really think that was going to last for? It's bizarre, isn't it? It's like Obama thought he was going to be president forever. The new president gets to decide what information he cares about and doesn't. The new president gets full access. There's no holding back because the previous administration was playing dirty games for politics, which is, which is exactly what happened. Exactly what happened and we all know it and there's just still to this day not any real recognition of this from the left uh in fact they still they still uh, say things that are flatly delusional i mean today comey said that uh Donchenko being a russian asset quote could have made him more credible or less credible i could see it cutting both ways i mean he just pretends to be a moron comey pretends that he doesn't really know anything about the Russians about investigative work because you can't blame someone it, it, it much easier for him to explain decisions that are politicized as just being incompetent because there's so much of that in the bureaucracy. And so that's really been the plan all along right? to avoid having to actually tell us all why he did the things he did that were obviously motivated by politics by just saying, well, I'm sorry, I'm really dumb. I, I just don't know any better. Which is weird because Comey also is very arrogant. So it's a very selective stupidity, but easier to defend themselves uh, on that charge than to actually accept that what they did was was driven by politics this whole time. Uh, but Comey is truly the worst. Uh, somebody who's done has done tremendous damage, not just to the FBI, but to people's feelings about the federal government. Um. Sean Davis, the Federalist, pointed this out. Comey just claimed Trump is a Russian asset because Trump said he didn't trust the very same U.S. intelligence agencies that tried to frame him for treason, fueled by Russian disinformation and funded by Hillary Clinton and the DNC in a coup that was led by Comey himself. End quote. Sean is correct. Once you look at this thing without the media's blinders on, it all becomes very apparent and very obvious exactly what happened here. And if anything, I think the president has been too kind and too restrained in the way he describes 
the media and the coup attempt against him. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, here is the slimy Comey or Sanctacomey exchange that I was referencing before. I wanted to play it for you so you could hear it. You can't even agree with this guy on very basic facts. You can't even get James Comey to say that up is up, down is down. Doesn't matter to this guy. He'll find some pseudo lawyerly way to to skate around the issue and pretend that uh, he can't understand or he's got a difference of opinion. This is Comey going head to head with Lindsey Graham that I play. Would you wish that had been done if you had known about it? I'm sorry, Senator, that what had been done? That you had informed the court that Mr. Page was, in fact, working with the CIA, and that explains these contacts. Do you think, out of a sense of fairness, the court should have been informed of that fact? Again, I, I don't agree with your preamble. I don't think the record established that he was working with the CIA. I think Carwitz found he was a contact, which we, we, means... We've got the, we've got the, we've got the email from the CIA confirming that he was a source for the CIA. Are you aware of the fact that that email later on was doctored? Again, I, I don't accept what you said. I don't think the record establishes he was a source for the CIA. I am aware from why, the Harvard Why is report. Mr. Klein-Smith facing criminal indictment? I only know what I've read in the public record, that he was accused of You're changing. the director of the FBI. You didn't know that your own agency had information from the CIA verifying what Mr. Page told you, that these contacts had a basis, in fact, because he was working with the CIA. Did you know that Mr. Kleinsmith doctored the email for it to read that there was no association between Page and the CIA, that he changed... There was to there was not. How do you feel about that? I know nothing about Mr. Kleinsmith other than what I've read in the well, public How do you record. feel in general about an FBI lawyer doctoring information exculpatory to somebody being surveilled? Any false statement in the course of an okay. investigation is deeply But you didn't concerned. know anything about it. just doesn't know anything, folks. Comey didn't know. Oh, I don't remember, don't know, never heard of it. All I know is what I read in the newspapers. Classic bureaucrat tap dancing from this guy. That's the one thing he got really good at all those years. No remorse about any of this. No remorse about uh, using his position as FBI director to uh, leak memos to the press attacking the sitting president. Uh, None of that. Doesn't feel badly about the Russia collusion lie. It was a lie. That's established now. That led to a years-long investigation that bankrupted people that uh, ruined careers and, and, and ruined people's lives, really, uh, all because Democrats were having a temper tantrum because Hillary couldn't win in 2016. Remember, Comey was supposed to be Hillary's guy. I mean, that was the way this was going to work. He was going to be her FBI director. He was very upset by this. You can't have this Trump fellow come along and ruffle all the feathers and take a different approach. That was unacceptable. Look, I, I this point... You know, people can either see what is real and what is true or they can continue living in their in their delusions about Russia and the special counsel and the election interference and all these things that have been talked about so much for years now. But all I can tell you is that the media and the Democrats are always in favor of less transparency, 
They always want less information on these subjects. They want people to know less about what really happened because what they did is indefensible. What they did, if you understand what the facts are, you'd come to the conclusion that there was, in fact, an effort to abuse the most fearsome, in a sense, FBI, the DOJ, the most fearsome organs of the government against the sitting against the uh, opponents of the preferred candidate and then against the sitting president of the United States. So I I think we should all see that for what it is. I I do have also today uh, the story here about remember the uh, two sheriff's deputies in Los Angeles County who were shot sitting in their car, man and a woman, uh, two deputies shot in their car by a male shooter, African-American shooter. That's all we know about him. It was an it was an attempted assassination. Thank God he was unable. He hit them both in the head and the face. He tried to kill them both, but was unable to uh, kill either of them, thankfully. And I believe both are supposed to make pretty close to a full recovery, which is it's really a miracle. It's a miracle. We didn't have two more dead cops. After what happened there and and now as as I go on air, just understand all that I have access to. And and this may change by the time some of you listen to this or hear this. So just always remember that there can be a, a delay here. But as, as I go on air, um, it's amazing to me, amazing to me how much the media is going to just downplay this and say, who cares you know, about any political persuasion this person may have, about any social media postings this person may have. Uh, Here's a safe bet that this individual, because this comes at a time when there's a narrative out there from Democrats and the left that cops kill unarmed black people for sport and and get away with it constantly, that uh, this individual is not a Trump supporter. He was ideologically motivated because it wasn't an, it wasn't in the course of committing another crime. This wasn't the, the what you would consider the usual violent exchange with police that could happen with criminals. This was an assassination. This was trying to kill cops to kill cops. And it's not a coincidence that it's happening when there have been other attempts like this. Uh, which are which are spurred on, which are. Uh, really, the result of. The ideological brainwashing the media engages in where they will tell people that you have to, uh, you know, you have to believe this lie. And if you do, then you should probably take action on it. Right. They're going to just forget about all this. You're going to be told nothing about this, about this story at all, other than just, okay, they got him. Don't worry about the ideological uh, background for this. Don't worry about why somebody may have actually gone to this extreme, gone to this length to do this. Um, Just just focus on the fact that this is done. It's over with. And and there we have it. Right. That's that's the end of it. Um, I, I think that that's unacceptable. I think that we should know more about the motivations here. I can assure you if this was a person that they could they could put in the ideological category of being a Trump supporter, I can assure you. We would be talking about that. A national conversation is what we would have to have. A national conversation on it. Um, And speaking of a national conversation, what the media will and will not talk about. Here's another one. Another story. BLM protester who deliberately plowed her car into Trump supporters and ran over a woman's head is charged with attempted murder, but claims she feared for her life and was trying to get away. Now, look. 
I'm just going to say this. If you are in a mob, I don't care what your ideology. If you're in a mob and you surround a car and someone's in fear of their life, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to block a car's pathway because you don't you got a political point to make or whatever. So I don't know if that happened in this case. See, I'm going to apply that principle consistently. It's not just when BLM protesters surround and not just a Trump supporter, anyone's vehicle and the person gets scared and floors it, understandably, that I'm going to say, you know, you stand in front of cars and you block them and they're worried and they think they're going to get pulled out and beaten. What happens next is on you. If, if it is true that a bunch of Trump supporters surrounded this woman's vehicle and were threatening her and would not let her car move forward. That has to be taken into account as well. I will say that based on law enforcement's uh, accounting of the event so far, that does not seem to be the case. That seems to be a very convenient justification for this. But here's what we know. Tatiana, this is all from the Daily Mail. Tatiana Turner, 40 years old, charged with attempted murder earlier this week. BLM protester drove her car into a crowd of Trump supporters in California on Saturday, running over a woman's head. Her attorney has claimed cops on the scene refused to help Turner when her car was surrounded by armed counter protesters. He says that Turner had asked for help and didn't mean to hit anybody when she accelerated in fear to escape. Orange County prosecutors argue she used her car as a deadly weapon. She positioned her vehicle to be used as a backup weapon, said District Attorney Todd Spitzer. The victims are expected to survive. So we need We need to find out the full details you know was she really in fear or was she throwing a tantrum where then she decided to use her car at a at a vehicle you know use her car as as a weapon um we we got to get down to uh we got to get down to the very specific facts here of the situation quote it may be difficult for prosecutors to prove turner tried to kill someone because it requires showing she was more than just reckless or negligent When you're talking about attempted murder, you're talking about a requirement the state proved that she drove into the crowd with a true purpose of causing someone's death. Uh, That's a moral judgment. Prosecutors are alleging just that. The felony complaint said Turner had the specific intent to kill the woman who was run over. Turner has a felony record for drug sales and domestic violence, charged with six counts of assault with a deadly weapon, including one count of causing great bodily injury, mayhem, and two counts of use of pepper spray by a felon. Turner's group, Urban Organizers Coalition, had planned a peaceful march, yeah, sure, a quote, peaceful march, southeast of Los Angeles, but they were outnumbered by a counter-protester group. Turner, okay, so so here we got a multiple-time convicted felon who's facing other felon, felony charges, and the prosecutors here are going after her. Um, prosecutors here are going after her saying that she really did try to try to kill people friends we've got political violence in this country we got political violence in this country um, and that's something that we should all feel very uh, very upset about it shouldn't be happening but people are attacking their fellow Americans now based upon what they think their beliefs are and we have a media apparatus that is not uh, is not willing to be honest about who's really doing this. The left is overwhelmingly the group that is doing this. And yet last night at the debate, we had to hear about white supremacists. Here, here's CNN's Alison Camerata talking about this play four. 
Maggie, he was so back on his heels when Chris Wallace asked him to denounce this hardcore white supremacist group. He really struggled with that and ended up not doing it and ended up, I think, hinting at or teasing upcoming violence. I mean, I don't know how else we're supposed to interpret stand by. When he tells a, a violent white supremacist group stand by, what, what other interpretation can there be? He said he's willing to, to to denounce any group. She's leaving this out, but I we played the audio for you. He'll denounce any group of white supremacists. Just name it. But, you know, they were attacking. They're hitting him. They're attacking him. And and they're just looking for imperfection in the way that he answers in their mind. And then they're going to say, I mean, they really think that Donald Trump, <laughs> this guy's this guy's a media mogul, billionaire, real estate owner, grew up in New York City, and he's a he's a white supremacist, like a neo-Nazi. That's what or or supports white supremacists. That's that's their line. I mean, these people are completely out of their minds, but there's nothing too crazy for them to say. Here's here's Bob Woodward with uh, I meant to get this one in before telling you what he really thinks about all this play, too. The economy is not good. This is not a good time uh, for people, particularly for American workers. Then you lay into this the issue of the virus. Trump has, again, wing it, no plan, absorb random information, uh, not really think it through. Uh, It is, in a sense, I I don't want to overstate this, but uh, he is assassinating the presidency. The job of a president is protect the people, tell the truth, provide some sort of yeah he doesn't, he doesn't want to that's enough he, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to he doesn't want to overstate but he's assassinating the presidency that's what he's saying about him wow okay you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast Project Veritas has done it again with some undercover journalism in Minnesota. We've got Neil McCabe with us now. Their comms director is going to tell us exactly what they found. Neil, great to have you with us. Hey, great to be with you, uh, Buck. And so what happened here, man? I watched the video, but tell all the folks, what did you guys find out in Minnesota? So every two years, Project Veritas and Project Veritas Action make a special focus on voter fraud and election fraud. So we send out our investigators just like every other cycle. And we really started getting some traction in Minneapolis a few months ago. Members of the Somali American community there started uh, telling our undercover journalists and some of our investigators about ballot harvesting, about vote buying, about voter intimidation. And so uh, we convinced some of the insiders to wear hidden cameras. And then some of uh, our undercover journalists wore hidden cameras. And then remarkably, one of the big ballot harvesters, a guy named uh, Levon Mohammed, posted on his Snapchat profile his car packed with absentee ballots. He said there were 300 of them. Buck. Now we're speaking to Neil McCabe, who is in charge of comms for Project Veritas. Neil, uh, is, this, is this illegal in Minnesota? Ballot harvesting, some states allowed, <laughs> some states not. What are the penalties like for this? And, and have you told the authorities about this? Yeah, I don't remember reading in the uh, Federalist Papers about uh, having it being a good idea to collect 300 ballots and drive around Minneapolis rapping about it. Uh, in Minnesota, there is a three ballot limit. So the 300 ballots is 100 times the legal limit in Minnesota. 
In some states, it's completely legal. We saw that in California in 2018, where the Democrats were able to flip six or seven House seats because of ballot harvesting. Other places, it's completely illegal. In Minnesota, there is a three ballot limit. So you guys have shown this to the authorities? Uh, are, are they curious as to whether this is going on in a more wide, widespread fashion? Because if you're able to find this and, and seeming, uh, seemingly uncover what's such an egregious violation, I, I would hope that the people in charge with enforcing laws around elections would care about this. It's a really interesting question you're asking, because either we have an FBI or we don't. Uh, the U.S. attorney was directed by the president to investigate this, the U.S. attorney in Minnesota. I emailed the U.S. attorney in Minnesota as a follow-up, and I sent a link to our report, and I sent a link to the president's tweet asking her to investigate. There was no reply. We do have reports that the Minneapolis Police Department is investigating it, but that would be on the state law. We feel that there are also federal laws that are violated, because of the intimidation in the vote buying. And so what is the what is the real threat here? Uh, what is the real threat here? What do you think is the the if this is more widespread, how much could it affect the election? And, and where else do you think this may be going on? Well, you know, I think a lot of people listening and sure, you're, uh, you know, Buck, you've uh, you've covered campaigns yourself. Uh, people understand when they lose an election, if it's a fair fight. They accept it and they move on. What Americans don't accept is losing a crooked fight or crooked election. And so when you see somebody blatantly violating these uh, voter laws, as we saw in Minnesota, but it's happening all over the country, what happens is if no one can trust the elections, then we don't really have a democracy. We just have, it's like a rigged casino. And so if people lose a rigged election, I, I just don't see how we move on because, you know, isn't our governing consensus about the fact that we're going to have a democracy where you either win or lose? Neil, you raised some very good questions, man. Thank you for the work that you guys are doing at Project Veritas. Neil McCabe, comms director, Project Veritas. Thanks so much, Neil. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for roll call. Roll call, everybody. Producer Mark. Before we get into the mix here, did you watch the debate? Of course I do. Did I, I work here? Don't I? Yeah. What do you think? Um, it was interesting. That's for sure. I, we expected. I what was it? Megyn Kelly said yesterday we expected good television, and that's exactly what it was. You, you th- do you have a, a relative who argues like either one of those of those two on the stage? Like just where you can't even answer, and they just keep they just keep hammering, they keep jumping in, just like I just did. They just keep jumping in. Uh, I hope not. I it's haven't dealt difficult. with it yet. Yeah, it's very difficult when someone does, takes that approach, I will say. It, it unnerves you. I, I um, just would like them both to just speak their points. I, I do wish that there was a... They, they should have a mics off thing. I do, I, I'm do. i serious about this. I think that they should have a... For like the two minutes where you get to speak, 
and the other person's not allowed to speak. There should be exchanges where it's a little bit more of a free for all where it's Q&A with the person. Fine with the two candidates uh, to each other. Um, But there also should be when they say two minutes to make your point, it should be two minutes to make your point. I think I mean, I, I would like a little more structure. Also, not people always complain about not having the audience and the applause. Now I realize the applause at least kind of almost acts like a separation for some of the stuff. Like they'll people will clap and then the, and then the candidates have to be quiet for a second and have to kind of reset. So that that was also, I think, a loss. But I like the no applause, but a lot of people on sports Twitter at least made the joke that there's a show on ESPN called Around the Horn. They made the joke that Tony Reale, the host, should be the one moderating the debate because he always has a mute button that he can mute whoever the panelists there's four panelists usually and he can mute anybody if they're being annoying so you just mute either one of them there you go i think it raises a good point all right let's get to it friends and uh remember uh you can pass the buck by going to the apple podcast store the iHeartRadio app or spotify wherever you listen to podcasts and uh tell somebody about the buck sexton show really really appreciate it when you do best way to get people uh, on team buck is to hear from one of you about it now let's get to it dan writes buck i started listening to your podcast the first few weeks of the pandemic thanks to red pilled america uh is that what's red pilled america is that a thing uh, probably we a website i can look it up oh okay cool well that, if red pilled america is telling people about my podcast i, I assume I like... you knew what it was that's why i left it in no no i, I, don't, know. I don't know that's great i mean cool assuming assuming it's just I like the fact it's telling people about my website. I've never heard of the site before. As a right-leaning independent, I've come to see the power of your message and I've tilted more to the right. Now I listen to your show daily. Being a resident of the greater Cleveland area and watching the debate live, I can say I'm more for Trump than before. Sleepy Joe was better than I expected and the moderator was down the middle. Hmm, I don't know about that. But Trump was the clear winner. Did he lack substance on some answers? Yes. But at the end of the debate, I felt a vote for Trump would be the best for the country Stay safe in NYC and keep on with your positive message. Uh, well, Dan, thank you so much for your great message. Appreciate you writing in. Good to have you uh, aboard Team Buck. Love, love having new folks join. And um, I, I think your, your analysis is, is pretty spot on. I, I, I disagree, obviously, a little bit about Chris Wallace. I thought he did a really bad job and it was annoying. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Sleepy Joe was... I was expecting pretty much what we got from Sleepy Joe. He was a little bit more surly than I had anticipated, um, but he wasn't going to he wasn't going to fall asleep up there or anything like that. That was not going to happen. So, yeah, Dan, well, well played, well done. And uh, please pass the buck. Tell some friends in Ohio. I'm sorry. In yeah, well, Cleveland, which is in Ohio, uh, that they should listen to Buck Sexton show too. Patrick. I don't understand why Wall Street supports Biden. What's in it for them? Ah, Patrick, a very good question. Despite Biden's formulation of Scranton versus Park Avenue, as we know, Park Avenue in New York City, where the rich people live, uh, supports Biden eight to one by donations. So that's just fact. That's just hard numbers. And so people are asking, "Okay, well, what's that all about? Why is Biden getting this support and it's a few reasons really that come together first of all if you live on park avenue and you're the kind of wall street you're talking about hedge fund and private equity people who are really at the top of the financial services industry when you look at their compensation and the clout that they wield 
Uh, and uh, they have so much money usually that they don't really care all that much as long as they can keep their their uh, their low rate of taxation on investment income on passive income. They don't really care what the what the income rate is on uh, the general you know income tax rate is. So that's one part of it. But then there's also enormous social pressure because these people are elites. They want to be, uh, you know, member. They want to be on the board of world famous museums, and they want to they want to go to galas for the, uh, the the patrons of major hospitals, and they want the and they don't want to be thought of as barbarians who vote for Donald Trump. They want social acceptance when they go out to the Hamptons, which is a fancy beach area in Long Island off of New York, where they're really the richest people in New York City and in some ways the richest people in the country go in the summertime. Um, I mean, it's it's as expensive as anything else you'd find anywhere on anywhere in America, Uh, maybe the most expensive that, you know, they they don't want to be looked at strangely at the uh, clam bakes and the beach parties and they don't want their peer group to think poorly of them. So there's a lot of social pressure, too. And if you're an elite, uh, you want to be part of the group that's the cool group. You know, you want to be part of the group where Hollywood celebrities are going to hang out and come to your fundraiser. You know, if you're if you're a hedge fund billionaire and you throw fundraisers for Joe Biden, you can get A-list celebrities to show up. They'll they'll help promote it. If you're a, a very wealthy Trump donor. Uh, you better hope that people don't see the Trump sign in front of your uh, townhouse because they might bash in your windows. That's really the difference. So that's why the Wall Street people, it's a lot of social pressure. But also Wall Street is a, is a socially liberal place now. It is dominated by, it's very institution heavy and it's really dominated by Democrats. The whole notion of Wall Street as a Republican stronghold is some kind of throwback to maybe the 80s. It hasn't been that way in a very long time. I mean, Goldman Sachs, that place is is as liberal in its hiring policies and all this stuff now as as what you would find at the HuffPo. I mean, it really these places are overrun with critical race theory and equity. It's funny because they sell equities, which is word people use for stocks. Uh, But when they talk about equity, that's now the term you use for the critical race theory based policies that are meant to do racial uh, racial harm balancing from the past. Right. So you look at the historical oppression and society today and you move things around. You do some social engineering to balance out the racial harms of the past. That's what equity means or or to look at disparate in, disparate uh, outcomes among certain communities and say, well, we don't have enough of X group in this role. So we're just going to hire more people with lesser qualifications for that role because of equity. That's the new term that they'll use. And this is all over Wall Street. Uh, It's all over the place. And I'm telling you, you you could get blackballed from Wall Street firms for being conservative now. I mean, people would say, I don't want I don't want that guy. You can be as liberal as you want. You as liberal as you want. And remember, the there's also sorry, this is a very good question, Patrick. I'm going on at length about it. Uh, But there's also the alliance between the elite echelon of society financially and socially, right? The very rich, very influential people who don't have to worry about money, who um, feel like their opinions because of their role in society should be more important than they are. And they want to keep their perks. They want to keep that privileged position. 
And so they will funnel money and and pander to the dependent class, people that need the government, people in the bureaucracy, people on welfare, people that need government handouts. Um, they, they will funnel as much support to them as they can because that's their political base to keep the elite echelon in that in that position. I mean, California is a great example of this. You've got all the people, you know, in Malibu, which is gorgeous, but super expensive and full of liberals. You got all the people in Malibu and Santa Monica are far left and they're advocating for uh, policies that as you go deeper into the California interior in in, you know, landlocked California cities, which tend to be not nearly as fancy as the coastal cities, or at least not have the fancy areas the coastal cities do. And they want to make sure that the, the middle class is taxed a lot to provide a bigger safety net for the dependent class so that they feel better about themselves. It's like they're buying indulgences. You know, in the medieval Catholic Church, you could buy, you write the church uh, check. I mean, they didn't have checks, but you know what I mean? You give the church money and, and you get away with some of your sins. The people that live in the $10 million mansion in Malibu vote Democrat and are leftists because they feel some level of, of guilt. Why do I live here? And other people are going to overcrowded, crappy public schools in unsafe places in my own state. Well, let's let's push for policies that make everyone think I care about those people. I don't actually interact with them. The Malibu resident would have to admit I don't actually deal with them at all. But I want a policy that lets me feel like I'm a good person and I want them to have, meaning the people that are in the lesser socioeconomic status, more stuff. And I'm going to tax the middle class, the, the striving class, the building for themselves class as much as I need to in order to give. Because the, the people that say that, oh, the wealthy are just going to pay more in taxes, that's never what happens. It's never what happens. Uh, and and that's, that's the problem as we see it, including the Bidens. You know, Joe Biden is avoiding taxes as much as he can so does trump so does everybody it's just some people are honest about it that's the big difference you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast roll call continues friends roll call continues uh, but first i i did want to just i'm i meant i thought about this before and i wanted to get it in here uh, Michael Tracy is a he's a left winger, but he's one of these left wingers who actually cares about the facts sometimes. And will say things that are true that upset the left, which I think a journalist should always be willing to do. Very few are. So I give the guy credit and he did. Uh, he, he can be kind of a surly fellow on Twitter, but he, he did travel around the country and and do some on the ground reporting about the riots and all the destruction from BLM. And here's what he tweeted out as someone who spent two months covering the aftermath of the most widespread riots in at least 50 years. This never ending fixation with illusory organized white supremacist groups couldn't be more absurd. It's 99 percent a media invention, totally disconnected from reality. Absolutely spot on accurate. Absolutely true white these white supremacist groups if you're actually a white supremacist and anyone finds out your, your life is ruined you're not gonna get a job no one's gonna run a home to you i mean a, 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 an actual white supremacist a member was a person who's a neo-nazi first of all is a moron a bad person okay so we can just dispense with all that oh will you denounce but beyond that uh there are extreme social consequences as there should be for that but 
It also is very, very rare, in part probably because of the extreme social consequences against it, you would think. But the media keeps on pretending every time there's an election, they talk about this, the threat of white supremacy. And like, what are you talking about? This is like every four years. The only time you hear David Duke's name, no one ever thinks about no one cares about this guy. No one ever thinks about the only time you'll hear David Duke's name is when a Democrat journalist wants to ask a Republican candidate about will you denounce him? It's the when will you stop beating your wife question? And we all know it. Uh, John, next up here in roll call. Buck, Trump didn't do a good enough job debating Biden. I feel that he dropped the ball on many issues. However, it was quite aggravating watching Chris Wallace let Biden spit out of every spit out every lie and lie about the president. Then when Trump tried to respond, suddenly it was the end of the segment. Yeah, well, this is a classic uh, lib media trick that they'll do. They always they'll interrupt and throw off one person. And then when that's not enough and they and, and that conservative it's always a republican is trying to just go after the argument that the liberal is making in this case biden then they'll just run interference say okay next topic next topic or let's go to break let's go to break these are the games that they play i know because i've been subjected to them i've been through this many many times myself uh so yeah that's i i agree with you on on that on chris wallace uh acting poorly on this thing mary writes buck i've been listening for years and i'm currently watching the first trump biden debate Trump has a so much more compelling argument on everything, and I support him. That being said, you have his ear. Please tell him for the next debate he needs to just let Biden talk and fall on his own sword. His consistent interruptions, in my opinion, only make him look crazy. Let Biden talk and fail and then rebut. Mary, stylistically, I agree with you. That would certainly be my approach. Um, I think the president, I think he was more aggressive than was useful. I don't have a problem with aggression in the debate. I don't have a problem with calling out Biden's lies, but I, I do. I want efficacy. I want the desired result here, which is not really for those of us who are big Trump supporters. It's not for us to go. Yeah, what matters? The reason these debates can make a difference is when people watch who have not decided, will this sway them to Trump's side? That's the end effect that I want. Uh, so, Mary, I, I think your your analysis is uh, is astute. Kirk Buck, the big loser from last night's debate was definitely Chris Wallace. First of all, that was the first debate I've ever seen where the moderator doesn't let the candidates provide a rebuttal of any kind, let alone complete a point. All to make sure he covers all of his pet subjects like climate change, white supremacy and Trump's tax returns. My takeaway from last night's debate is that Chris Wallace doesn't like President Trump. Trump did land a bunch of roundhouse punches, so the night wasn't a complete waste. Yeah, Kirk, I mean, I think that well, I told you Wallace did a terrible and I'm not somebody who always trashes the moderators and everything else. I think Wallace did a really bad job. Really bad job. Straight up. Tyler, hey, Buck, you're doing amazing work. I just got your new book in the mail. I'm excited to read it. BuckSexonBook.com. Everybody go to BuckSexonBook.com to get the Socialism Survival Guide. Tyler, thank you so much for picking up your copy. My question for you is about the Democratic Party selecting Biden, because like so many others, I'm still baffled. When you talk about him being the nominee, you say the DNC Democratic machine selected him and rejected everyone else, including Bernie. I know, you know what? Uh, we're actually coming to the close here. This is a little longer, Tyler, than I anticipated. So we'll return to this one tomorrow. Mark will remind me for roll call. We've got to close it up for today. We'll jump back into this, though. We've got a lot of, a lot of stuff on the, on the docket already for tomorrow, team. So let's talk then. Shields high.